Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. I'm here with Jay Jones, and this is Free for All Friday. How's it going? It's going well. Good. Going well. Very yeah. good. I uh, I wasn't sure... I wasn't sure we'd be able to do this today with uh, they're working on our roof at the church. Right. And yesterday it was super loud. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was, uh, was that Monday, Tuesday? It was Tuesday as well. Yeah. Uh, so I don't hear anything. Hopefully. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully, won't hear hopefully any, that continues. Hear any sounds. Yep. So, well, we were going to do the, uh, you know, the kind of little series on most abused Bible verses. But this still happened with Alistair Begg, which we we briefly talked about, I think, last week, just a little bit, um, with him giving his advice to um, for a grandmother to go to her grandson. You know, his grandson or granddaughter, because he's well. That's yeah. That's uh, but little, to go little, little discrepancy. Yeah, there. to go to their uh, gay. Slash. Which this this was this was not someone that he knows. Like this wasn't a member of his church, so he probably doesn't even have all the details. Right. Someone wrote him a letter, I guess, and he kind of responded to it, to, to go to it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it caused a big uh, thing mm-hmm. um, all over the Internet. So he he did respond. First, well, first the uh, American Family Radio mm-hmm. gave him a chance to uh, clarify or maybe rescind, and he didn't, so they dropped him from that radio network. I wonder if I could find that. And then... Was that this past Sunday evening that he did that? It was. Yeah, this past Sunday yeah. evening. He uh, did about a 45-minute talk to his congregation about the controversy, and he, um, I guess, made some observations of Luke 15, uh, prodigal son, mm-hmm. and then kind of gave remarks on as to why he, he did that. So <clears throat> we... Uh, it's. I think it's worthy of a response. I don't even know if I want to call it a response. I think I'd try to keep it in with uh, maybe like First Timothy five one. Like we're not rebuking him. Like this isn't a, a rebuking of an elder right. brother who has preached pretty much as long or longer than I've been alive, faithfully. Mm-hmm. We had to clarify that, and still holds to Orthodox Christianity in every regard. Just preached Romans one. So affirms homosexuality is a sin, says it clearly, even says it in this video, but the Bible tells us, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So you could take this as a friendly um, encouragement to uh, change his mind. How about that? Well, this was what I was thinking about as we were planning this. Why are we doing this? Because we don't know Alistair Begg. Alistair Begg doesn't know us. <laughs> Alistair Begg is never going to listen to this podcast. Um, we're not going to change his mind. So far as you know. As far as I know. Uh, I mean, stranger things have happened, but yeah. that would be amongst top top three <laughs> in my life. Maybe one of his inner circle will, <laughs> will listen to it. Um, there's a lot of responses already out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from people that have a much wider influence than us um so why are we doing this why are we spending time on this well i mean we're pastors mm-hmm. so we have 
people in our church that we're responsible right. for. I just told Larry uh, before you came in, I said, imagine, if you will, that this happened, and I won't use her name, but a member of our church went through something similar to this, and my advice to her was not the same advice that Alistair Bay gave. I talked about that last time a little bit. I should have I should have got permission to read her letter on here, mm. the letter she wrote, yeah. and then the response letter she received from her friend. Um, but imagine that she comes in, and she's like, I need some advice. This is what's going on. My best friend, since we were little kids, expects me to come to her her wedding, her gay wedding. And I say what I say, which is, you can't do that. You need to write, you know, write her a long letter expressing your love for her, that your friendship isn't ending. Your friendship will never end. You'll, you know, you care, you'll care for her dearly and you just, you can't come to that. Um, right. That's a shorthand version of it. And then she's like, well, Alistair Beck said, uh, it's okay to go. Right, right. He so people like Alistair Begg have right. they have I would say a, an unhealthy influence on people. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about kind of the celebrity culture right. in in Christianity, and and so the what 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 I want to do. I don't know if it's what you want to do. And, the, and, <laughs> is, and is play his original yeah. his original remarks. I think that'd be good. Um, and then. <clears throat> play walk through a little bit of his sermon we can't we can't do the entire sermon it's about 45 minutes long right, um right. you you can go on youtube and you can look up the sermon um, right. and you can you can hear it's called compassion versus condemnation that, right. that's the title of it um and uh you can you can read the whole thing or hear the whole thing um and you can get the whole context we'll we'll just walk through a little bit of it but he acts like this was he he almost i don't and i don't know i don't know the guy like i don't know i don't know what's going on behind the scenes i don't know his I, i've i've met him once i don't know anything about him personally um, but he he almost acted like he was shocked that this was such a big deal, mm-hmm. um, because it was private. It was a private um, counsel to this grandmother, and it wasn't though. It, yeah. As soon as he as soon as he did this podcast where he gave the advice out out into the the world. I mean, right. um, now you've got, now you've got his church and you've got everybody that's listened to it. It's also counsel to them. Um, and so it's, it's not just this in, he talks about if this was a different <clears throat> circumstance, if it was a different person, I might give different advice. And it's like, well, that, that's not how the internet works. Right. <laughs> you, you, you gave it out there. People, people look up to you because you're a, you're one of the modern heroes of the faith for a lot of people. Right. Um, I, I used to listen to Alistair Pegg all the time. Yeah, me too. Um, he's a great preacher. I, I mean, uh, but this advice, it, it wasn't just the one person. It went out. And uh, now that's right. why that's why people are responding to it. It's like, this was bad counsel. Yeah. And it's not just one person that you're influencing. You're influencing everyone that listens to you. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean but to clarify. An unhealthy influence, I mean... Mm-hmm. That people can, they can become such heroes to people that they will listen to this person rather than to listen to their local pastor. And that's that's kind of that's kind of the sad, uh, unspoken part of this whole situation is that this grandmother felt like she, I mean, he he acts like he 
she's not a member of the church. I, I originally thought she was yeah, when I, I first heard I it. I don't think she. I don't think she is. No, it sounds like he doesn't even know her. Yeah. Um. And so it's <clears throat> it's kind of sad that she would go to Alistair Begg instead of going to her own pastor. Um. I mean, we do this podcast for our church, and we know that probably the majority of the people that listen to this podcast are members of our church. And I, I would just encourage our church members to remember that God, whether, whether you like it or not, uh, God has providentially put you in this church with these pastors, and so we're we're your pastors. And so I would I would encourage you to um, listen to your pastors and and not 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 not. Um, not put someone else against your pastor and there's a conflict there and well i i like this person better than i like right. the person that is actually here with me um like ministering to me and shepherding me mm-hmm. and preaching and teaching me and and actually has been in my house and knows my name and um just just an encouragement to remember that god has given pastors to local churches and um alistair Beck's not your pastor Right, like, like, at least, at least, listen to your your pastor. We, I mean, we talked about this when we went through Hebrews chapter thirteen. Yeah, Sub, yeah. Uh, obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, the word obey carries the connotation of be persuaded by them. Like let let yourself give yourself to the the pastors that God has given to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then submit to what they say. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm hoping he'll still change his mind. I don't really know how that could work. But, you know, <clears throat> I told you one time we were in class and John MacArthur was teaching, and it was almost like a, I don't know if it was a panel, but I can't remember who else was in there with him at the time. But he had taught some things in the past that were what we would say are wrong. And they had to do with Christ. It was Christology we're talking about, and I can't remember the exact passage we were at, but almost got the feel that it was EFS. But they were like, what? You want to explain to anybody that doesn't know what EFS is? Eternal functional subordination of the sun. You want to explain that to people that don't? <laughs> I mean, is this gonna... uh, and and I and I, I mean, I can explain it, but I can't remember if that was exactly what it was. But it was something related to Christology. So that is the incorrect belief that eternally, uh, for eternity past, the Son is submitted to the Father. That's not that's not orthodoxy, right? Um, he submits in the incarnation. Um, anyway, he said, and it was just this easy. He was like, yeah. He literally said, yeah, I was wrong. Some people came and they confronted me about that, some people that I know and care about, and they showed me I was wrong, and so I changed my mind. That is, you know, I think that's that's kind of how we should all be. We can all either hold to a wrong belief, or maybe we hold, we held to right beliefs, but then apply that truth incorrectly in the world right mm. and so our heroes aren't aren't beyond that no one is you know what i mean no matter how popular they be so this isn't a rebuke because i'll still listen to alistair Begg. it's not like i'm going to stop listening to him i don't think he's 
any sermons I've ever listened to him preach. He's been preaching a long time. He's never preached anything incorrectly, from what I can find. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he and it's all public. I mean, yeah. his stuff's been oh, out yeah. there for a long time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I uh, ran across one clip. I don't know how long ago this was, where he takes a soft complementarian position uh, that we would disagree with. Mm. Um, he said that they would allow a woman to preach on a Sunday morning if all the elders agreed that she could. Uh, yeah, so we would disagree with that, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. But I don't know that they've ever done that. I think they have. Really? Yeah, I think they have. Interesting. So. Very interesting. Well, I... I've said this about Piper before. We we love John Piper. Listened to a lot of his sermons, been helped by a lot of his books. Um, and then 2020 came around with COVID and government uh, mandates and vaccines, and he just was not great. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these, some of these guys can be really good, like theologically and exegetically, and then when you apply it to like real world situations that can't always be great and that's that's a that's a reminder for me that's that's something to to uh to challenge me like when we're preaching through the text we don't want to just be academic we don't want to just get caught up in the the theology and forget that theology is supposed to be applied in the real world and there's real there's real circumstances that are going on um that the people need to know how does this how does this affect me? Um, and, and it can be really easy for us to be comfortable like just preaching through a book of the Bible and and we're getting all this deep, rich theology and it, it doesn't actually apply to our lives. Uh, Alistair's theology should have given him a, a better... It, it should have given him a better uh, worldview in which to respond to this grandmother, um, but it he just gave bad advice here yeah he did so we, we just have to be careful like what what does our theology actually mean in the real world uh, yeah yeah and uh because that people are going to have these uh, this is not going to be a one-off situation i mean there are christians that are they're going to be dealing with this yeah yeah uh, so we want to play the original clip where he gives the advice for anyone that doesn't uh, even know what we're talking sure. about. Yeah, we can uh, play that first. It's just uh, it's just like a minute long. So yeah, we'll play that clip, and then we'll play several other clips of his Sunday night explanation stuff mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I guess we'll start. start I don't there. know how long this is going to be because I don't know. I, I'm looking at the timestamps of the of the transcript, and some of it's fairly long so we'll see what we do. I'll see what, I got we'll see what we get to I've got two more hours we got two our, more hours I've all right two well more hours and I've got to go all right <laughs> well here we go then all right this is uh, this is from a podcast that he did so Alistair he wrote a book on uh, the sermon on the plane yeah. which is Luke's Luke's version of um, the sermon on the mount from Matthew chapter 5 and uh, so he's giving this uh, interview with, I think, someone from his, from True for Life. And, uh, the, well, we'll just listen to it. Here we go. Oh, just a second. I got to turn it up. If 
compassion towards me. And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but I I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way the choices that he has made in life? Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, Mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared Mm -hmm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. We're going to have to take that risk a lot more if we want to build bridges into the hearts and lives of those who don't understand Jesus and, and don't understand that he is a king. John tells us he was full. All right. There you go. That's the uh, that's the original clip. Yeah. <clears throat> so grandmother asked him, uh, my grandson, he says granddaughter in the sermon. Again, he probably doesn't know these people. <laughs> so right. Keeping the all the details straight in his mind is uh, probably not. Uh, it's probably going to be a challenge. Um, uh, marrying a transgender person. Don't even know what that means. Is this uh is this a woman who thinks that she's a man or a man who thinks that he's a woman? Uh should we go to should I go to the wedding? Right. Well, does your grandson know that you are a Christian? Does he know that you believe the Bible and believe this is a sin and that you can't support it? Yes. Well then I think you should go. Um and even give a gift. Right. Now in the in the sermon he says the gift is a bible. Um but we'll we'll push that off to the side just for a second. Mm-hmm. Um you should go and give a gift. Um he'll be caught off guard by your love, but if you don't go, he'll just it just reinforce that you're judgmental. Yeah. Right. So yeah, there it is. And that's what everybody pushed back on. Yeah, yeah. Um, And we talked about this a little bit when it first came out. Yeah. Um, uh, What, week week and a half ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, And uh, it's just... he, He knows you don't support it. So go to the wedding, but the we- going to a wedding is supporting it, right? It is supporting a we- it is supporting the marriage. That that's what the wedding is. A wedding is not just an event that we that we watch. It's a ceremony that we are attending. Uh-huh. 
and our very presence is communicating that we're in support of this. And if you if you want to push back against that and say no, it's not, swap out any any other sin that you can think of with transgenderism, and say, would you go to that wedding? Uh huh. Like, let's say the grandson is marrying some white supremacist. Uh huh. Would you go to that wedding? Right. Yeah. Um, we've got our own issues with Doug Wilson. Uh huh. <laughs> we don't want to get sidetracked by that, but he has a res- he has a, a response to Alistair Bag. Uh huh. It was pretty good, um, and he said that that the reason why, and he gives several he gives several um, examples as only Doug Wilson can of different situations in which you would be invited to some kind of ceremony or event where someone who's practicing racism or um, I can't remember what the other one was, uh, but he said that the only reason why these, these others seem so out of bounds, but going to a transgender wedding doesn't, it seems like uh, Alistair's given okay advice here. Like right. she should go and show love is because homosexuality and transgenderism is acceptable in the culture. Right. Whereas you don't have people wide scale saying it's okay to be a racist. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so before you, before you start, before you start agreeing with Alistair Begg, think to yourself, have I been influenced by the culture? Because we all, we all are being influenced by the culture around us in subtle ways. And even, even when we can affirm that we we do not support homosexuality or transgenderism. We we believe it's a sin. It's an abomination according to the scriptures. Um, we're surrounded by media that's that is promoting it and right. celebrating it. And in very subtle ways, how are we being affected by it? And how are we being softened to it? Yeah, and he uses the word ceremony because that's what a wedding is. Uh, and a ceremony, if you look up, like by definition, carries the idea of uh, celebration. Like that's involved in cere- in the ceremony of a wedding is celebration. That's that's inherent in it. For those that maybe are left leaning, um, I'm trying to think of one that they could understand. Kind of uh, the reasons why. And where they would not go to, to a wedding. So maybe say, maybe say your daughter is um, going to marry Donald Trump. <laughs> All right. So your daughter's going to marry Donald Trump, or your granddaughter. Your granddaughter <laughs> is going to marry Donald Trump. She's going to be like his fifth wife or whatever. I don't even know how many he's had. And uh, you oppose him, as we all know, as all left to oppose Donald Trump. Um, you've made that known, all of that. You're still not going to go to the wedding, right? You're not going to go because to go would be a sign of support mm-hmm. of the union. If it's not, if it's not a sign of support by going, then why would it be a sign of rejecting it by not going? Exactly. Right. And why would it be a big deal that you don't go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and again, you... You look at you look at like um, I've seen this example many times uh, over the last week. W- what if you had a coworker 
who leaves his wife and is going to marry like a secretary or like his secretary. Right. And you have pled with him like this is wrong. Like don't do this. And he invites you to the wedding. Would you go to that wedding? Well, I mean, he knows that you that you don't countenance <laughs> the the marriage. Mm-hmm. He knows what you believe. Would you go? Right. Like yeah. I, I would think that I would think that people would say no. We wouldn't go to that. Uh-huh. Well, why not? Because you don't approve. Yeah. Don't approve. So why 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 is that? Why why is our gut instinct to immediately say no? I wouldn't go to something like that. Right. But it's transgender. Why why are we soft on that? Why would we be like oh, maybe? Yeah. It's because people we've been like. Condition, like you said, socially conditioned. I mean, you can put any number of things in there. Put in there like a uh, old school Mormon uh, wedding. Maybe person's marrying a couple different women at the same time. Mm. Like, would say, no, we're not going to go to that because we don't support that. We don't celebrate it in any way. Uh, It's only with this one issue where it becomes a thing, like you said. And it's because it's been so culturally accepted as that particular sin is not like the rest that's one that we should placate to and so in some respect so we don't want to come across as bigots right to the people who think they're a different gender yeah and so you know people have said well you would never go to non-believers weddings Uh, but of, of course because marriage is like a creation covenant we would say like God instituted that for humanity. Mm-hmm. So whether it's two non-believers getting married, a man to a woman, or you could even go to a Jewish wedding or a Muslim wedding, like that's not you participating in that religious activity, but it is saying you support the marriage of a man and a woman together mm. and they're covenanting right. to make that lifelong. Right. Which should be the goal of every marriage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> even a non-religious like maybe people get married at the courthouse and they want you to come be a witness. Um, you can go do that right. because it's not a sin for a man and a woman to get married. And and the uh, the the criticism is well, you wouldn't go to anything that uh, you know, like a transgender person, like this grandson invites her to like a birthday party. You wouldn't go. Well, no, it's not a sin to celebrate a birthday. Like even transgender people have birthdays. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like that's not that's not a sin to go and celebrate the day that they were born. That's not the same as marriage is an institution that is given to us by God. It's meant to point beyond us to the gospel. It's supposed to point beyond us to Christ and his church. Um, to go to a homosexual wedding or a transgender wedding where they are deliberate, I mean, it's it's a deliberate act of defiance um, and twisting the picture of, of what marriage is supposed to be to be Mm -hmm. um i i don't see how a christian can can go i I don't know who said it but if if he went it it may have been doug wilson because he was the last thing i listened to um he he said or whoever said it um like it's not that the grandmother would just have to let her grandson know that she didn't support it she'd have to let everyone that was there that saw her know 
because otherwise it looks like she's supporting the wedding. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's not just, it's not a private thing. It's not just private between these two people. She's there. Other people are there too. What do, do they know that she doesn't agree with this? Like and, what, like what is her, like what's this doing to her witness? And what if they, they do the uh, statement like, is anyone here have a reason why these two should not be wed? I don't think they do that anymore. I have, I can't remember the last time I've been to a wedding where they did that. Really? Mm. Yeah. Well, what if they did though? Then you're, <laughs> right. then you're obligated now as a Christian. Right. To stand up right. and say, I, yeah, I, mean, I yeah. have a reason why they shouldn't be. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the only, the only reason I can see for giving the advice that you should go is to be a disruption. <laughs> That's the only reason I could see for, to tell a Christian to go to something like this is you have to be ready to right. uh, be a menace. Yeah, and I, I think what we should should clarify too, maybe for people that don't know us, is we definitely are not uh, saying that you should not associate with people that, as Paul says, those that are sexually immoral, or you would have to go out of the world. We, we clarified that last time, I think, but we'll do it again. You should have your relationship open, right? So you have a non-believing family member who is homosexual. You should have them over to eat all the time. Like, like all, what they should know from you is hospitality and love, and in every way you can support them, you support them, right? You're friends with them. They know you care about them. They can depend on you. But it's here in this, in this area where you're having to choose to appear, which will be perceived by everyone else's that is there as uh, approval or celebration. Mm-hmm. Right. That thing you can't do. Right. You can't do that. Yeah. So, and I think that's important because we go through this uh, Alistair Begg's uh, sermon, as we'll play some clips, he seems to, I don't know if he did it intentionally, but make everyone who kind of disagrees with that out to be Pharisees. And that's the that's the passage that he was in. He was in Luke chapter fifteen. You want to give us a little bit of context of Luke fifteen as we get into the sermon because we're we're not going to have time to listen to him, read it and explain it. He he, um, I would say Didn't that I preach through this like not that long ago. Um, I think so. They do it I from Luke. Yeah, I think so. Gospel, yeah. Um, but I I don't think he did a good job of even exegeting the passage. Right. Um, so this is a string of parables that Jesus told. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's important, the reason why he, he gave the parable is at the beginning of Luke 15. Yeah. So beginning of Luke 15, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to near him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's the context. Jesus is doing what he does. He's associating with the people in the culture that the Pharisees won't. Now, maybe a clarification is in order with the Pharisees. What they have done is made an extra boundary around God's law. They set themselves apart, literally, that's what a Pharisee means. It means like to be cut apart or set apart, but they've done it to themselves, and they make all of these extra man-made traditions or laws that they would live by, and by living by these man-made traditions, they think they're keeping themselves pure and holy to God because they don't even get close to breaking God's law. 
So they'll do things like, and we see this when Jesus heals the blind man. We can get a picture kind of the culture. So if you had a deformity, if you had some type of a deformity, they would associate that with you being a sinner, and so they wouldn't associate with you. So the blind man, right? Why is he blind, or why was he born blind? Well, either he's because he's a sinner, or his parents are sinners. Either way, he's unclean, and we shouldn't be around him, or we might get contaminated too, right? And so it's not just like the sexually immoral or tax collectors they do this with. They do this with everybody who is not in their mind keeping the law, and they just don't associate with them. Jesus breaks those, at this time, cultural norm, which would be... I mean, imagine you have a one a person that has one arm. How would they view that person? They would view that person as defiled, tainted. So this person now lives on the outskirts of society. Jesus is associating with these people, the ones they call sinners and tax collectors. That's more than just the sexually immoral. Right. That's people they have put in that category, which as you're listening, you probably are discerning, well, God's law doesn't say anything about that that these people are defiled, or they can then, their defilement can transfer to me by my merely associating with them. But Jesus is eating and fellowshipping, and they're drawing near to him. And that's, um, that is a, just a, a short little phrase that it's kind of missing from Alistair's explanation of the passage, is that Jesus is not, He's not going to some kind of celebration of, you know, a tax collector, um, you know, ripping off people. I I have this this month I defrauded people for (laughs) $30,000 and I'm throwing a lavish party Mm -hmm. with that. I want you to join in in my scheme of defrauding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's not at all what is is happening. Would Jesus have gone to that? No, I don't think he would have. Uh, it says that they were coming to hear him. Uh-huh. Right, they were they were listening to him. Yeah, and he and he'll eat with these people. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in God's law that says if you eat with a sinner, you become a sinner. Right, right. And it's good advice for us too. Like, so we would take the same approach. You have a a relative who is in living in rebellion against God. What do you do? Well, they're they're not in the church, right? So you fellowship with them. You eat with them, you be friends with them. That's being like Jesus. Right. Being like a Pharisee would be going, I don't associate with sinners. Right. But he is equating not going to a marriage right. ceremony uh-huh. with doing what the Pharisees did. Right. That This does not compute at all. Yeah. So that's the context. And then there's... Uh, three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then, of course, the most famous, the prodigal son. <laughs> and that's what he spends the, his sermon on. Right, and, and they're really a picture of, of him and of Jesus himself going after the lost sheep, going after the lost coin, how God pursues the sinner to bring them home. And then the, the parable of the prodigal son really is an illustration so the Pharisees can see themselves. Right. right? They're, they're the older son. So the son goes away, squanders his inheritance, living in sin in a faraway country, land. But when he reaches rock bottom, he's like eating pig slop with the pigs. He repents, and he comes home. The father gladly receives the repentant sinner and throws a party for him. It's such a great deal. Even the, you know, the angels celebrate in heaven when a sinner repents. Uh, but the son is not happy that this person repented. 
um, and is being celebrated. So I don't really even know why you would use this illustration because there is no one that I know of that is a Christian that would not celebrate a sinner repenting of their sin and coming to God. There, that that doesn't exist. I, I, so I don't even know why the illustration was used. I think it's it's uh, it was a bad one um, to try to use for this scenario. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit. And I don't think it was appropriate because really what he did, he doesn't know us at all, but he pretty much said we're Pharisees. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, you want to jump into this thing? Sure. Um, I've got, I've got some timestamps. Um, we'll see how it works. Okay. <laughs> I've got, I've got three, I've got three sections for us to listen to. The first one is really um, him dealing a little bit with the passage in Luke 15, and then uh, he transitions a little bit into what he's talking about. But it's the it's the second one that we'll we'll want to spend probably the most time on. Okay. okay. All right. Here we go. Oh, you need to turn it up. He longs for him, and the absence you see of forgiveness in on the part of the older brother reveals something. It reveals that he doesn't understand the nature of forgiveness, that he doesn't understand what it means to actually be forgiven. And as a result of that, he doesn't have the capacity to forgive others who need the forgiveness. Now, if, if I can cross-reference uh, the, the book which gave rise to the response to the grandmother, which gave rise to the interview about the book. There's logic in me parlaying to here, because what I'm saying is, unless, unless someone understands the forgiveness of God and how we are so in the wrong with God, whether you're a religious Pharisee or whether you're a lost cause, a drug-addicted, crazy person— The same grace of God is what woos us and wins us and brings us to Himself. If we do not understand the nature of our predicament, then we never understand the reality of our forgiveness. And in this book, that's what I'm actually saying, because we're working from the Sermon on the Plain, and we are understanding the fact that Jesus—well, let me just quote it—the proof that we understand how we have been loved by God, says Jesus, is to love our enemies the kind of love that is only possible as God enables us by the Holy Spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself when the category of neighbor includes everyone you meet, including your enemies. To do so is a supernatural action, and it is an action that is proof of our salvation. This is supposed to be an uncomfortable challenge. Quote, it is certainly very uncomfortable to me. That's what I'm saying in the book. Here is how I think through what it would mean for me to live out Jesus' command myself. I think of people who are behaving in a way that rejects God and His ways. Now, what you need to know is that when I'm writing this, I am actually dealing with the circumstances that were in our minds when we studied Romans chapter 1 the reality of the 
finger in the face of God that is represented in those who have turned their backs on God, even to the point of their own sexuality being turned upside down. So, when I write the line, uh, I think of people who are behaving in a way that rejects God. That is a comprehensive reality, but this is what is in my mind, who reject God and His ways. That undermines what God says glues societies and families together. What glues societies and families together? The reality of conjugal love in a heterosexual monogamous marriage that produces children. They reject God. They reject His ways. They do it publicly, and they do it in a fashion that makes it absolutely clear that they have no interest in it while, quotes, mocking Christians as bigots. That's the context. Naturally, I do not like them, quote, but I am called to the supernatural work of loving them, not ignoring them, not avoiding them, but actively seeking to bless them. I am not called to walk on past them like the religious leaders in the parable of the Good Samaritan. No, I am called to be like the Samaritan, who is the classic illustration of loving and lending and doing good without a calculator and without the expectation of a payback. Now, that is then the context when a grandmother phones me up in tears and gravely concerned for the circumstances in relationship to one of our grandchildren. I'm not quoting the book to her. I'm only responding to her. She wrote a long letter. It sat on my desk for a long time. This happens to us all as pastors all the time. And on that occasion, when I listened to her talk, my great concern was for her and for her relationship with her granddaughter. I wasn't thinking about the nature of the circumstances in that moment of time. All I was thinking about was, how can I help this grandmother not to lose her granddaughter, who has already publicly turned her back on God and her back on God's design and in every other way? I want to stop right here for just a second. He um, he does two things that bug me. Mm-hmm. The first is he makes a logical fallacy, and he he is basically making a false equivalency. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if you you either are loving them by, in the context, going to this marriage, or you are not loving them. Right. Right. Yeah. That's that's false. Yes. <laughs> that, that that the argument does not that does not hold out. Uh-huh. Right. Um the second thing he does and he he says it a couple of times. I think we'll see it in in another clip is that he said that um in that moment of time all I was thinking about was how can I help this grandmother not to lose her granddaughter. Mhm. Um That's not the most important thing, right? Though, right? Yeah, that's it's, that's not the that's not that's not that should. I mean, yes, he he's trying to be pastoral. Mm-hmm. He's trying to show compassion towards this grandmother who um, is probably at a at a loss. Um, but that that's still not a reason to to thrust our theology aside right right Right. yeah i mean it 
that should never trump what we would what we would say is the main thing the main idea that should be concerned is faithfulness to Christ right not losing a person that you love because of your faithfulness mm-hmm. right so i mean jesus says in matthew 10 uh 34 do not think i have come to bring peace to the earth i have come to bring not peace but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So you could add in there, whoever loves his granddaughter more than me is not worthy of me. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not that Jesus came to set you against them, but what happens is, is if you try to live out your Christian life publicly, people will be set against you. Right. And this is what has happened throughout history. It's what's happening today. It's what happened with the church member that I gave the advice to. If you respond in a loving manner, it doesn't matter if you don't go with full-blown acceptance. They then set themselves against you. And they cut; they'll cut you off. You'll be cut off from them mm-hmm. because they view your, no matter how loving you are, they view you as not accepting of them as like a person, mm-hmm. and they view you as a bigot. So they cut you off. Yeah. All right. So if you compromise, then you won't be cut off. Right. So we have verses like this that kind of inform us about these situations. Mm-hmm. Like what it's applicable today. And he still has to be pastoral when he gives Matthew chapter 10. I mean it's this this shouldn't be something that we just um callously throw out there. Like I I know that this is difficult and I I know that your granddaughter in the sermon uh I know the granddaughter is going to think that you're judgmental. Um, that doesn't mean that you have to completely cut her out of your life. Um, all we're saying is you can't go to, you can't go and celebrate this, this parody wedding. Right. Right. He, he says a few times something to that nature. It's almost like he put himself in her shoes cause he's a grandfather. Mm-hmm. Right. So he can't imagine losing his grandchild. That relationship, and he doesn't want yeah. her to lose that relationship either. Right, he wants her to keep it. Right, so coming from that place is not a good place to start mm. to begin with. Um, I don't know. We talked about empathy on here. I know that I know that was a big a big thing uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, I don't know if we have. Okay, empathy is um, like trying to feel the pain of. The other person, mm-hmm. um, putting your yourself in their shoes and and coming f- at a situation that way. That's not that's not what we're really called to do. We're called to have sympathy. Mm-hmm. We're called to come alongside the person and and care for them in an understanding way. Uh, but it's it's uh, empathy is more of like an inside thing. Mm-hmm. Sympathy yeah. is is. Coming alongside from right. the outside, 
Uh, that'd be chasing a rabbit here. Let's let's continue with this. Okay. <laughs> you have to turn it up again, man. You know, one of the ways in which to catch your granddaughter off guard is actually do the opposite of what she expects you to do. What does she expect you to do? Avoid her. Stay away from her. Don't get contaminated by the situation. Yeah, pause, pause it. I said, well, it's... Again, we come back to this, like, who, <laughs> yeah. who is calling any Christian to do that? Right. To not associate with homo- homosexuals? Yeah. No, no one. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's committing a fallacy here. Yeah. It's an either-or. It's, it's, it's either you go to the wedding or you hate your granddaughter. Right. <laughs> it's like no one is saying that. She expects you to not associate with her, not be around. Like, yeah. Do, do all those things. Associate mm-hmm. with her, be around her. Do everything with her like you would do with your other grandkids. If they enter into this, this um, you know, so-called marriage, which doesn't even exist, by the way, like it's not like you can't you can't have a marriage between two men or two women, um, just by definition, and we don't get to de- we don't get to define what it is. God does. Um, but if they enter into this relationship. Invite them over for dinner. You can't eat with them. Right. <laughs> that's not. That's not. Uh, but if you, are you going to let them stay in the same room at night? Or they, well, I, I would think that a Christian would be like, no, I, I don't want that. I don't. I'm not going to support that under my under my roof. Well, why would you go and support the the ceremony that that started the whole thing? Right. Like it, yeah. It, it, and in, and keep in mind too, when you give that advice, you're speaking from them as if they're both non-believers. Right. Like you have two non-believing right. grandkids mm-hmm. right. um, that are heterosexual. You treat them the same way. Right. Now it's a different story if they're professing believers. Then it's different. It's much different. Right. Because Paul Paul literally tells us to not even eat with such a one. Mm-hmm. That's the advice he gives the Corinthians, right? Right. With that scenario, which most people today wouldn't have a problem with, a man has his his uh, his father's wife, right. and he's like, "This is an abomination." Not even spoken of in the right. in the secular world. And you're you're boasting in this, yeah. like kick him out of the church. The don't cor- have the, don't... Cor- the Corinthians would go to the wedding between this man and his stepmom, right? <laughs> because they because they're they're coming at it from the same the same kind of uh, angle that that uh, Beck is coming from. And he tells them throw them out of the church and have nothing to do with them, <laughs> right? Because he because he bears. Well, you're just going to come across as judgmental. Jay. Well, it's different because he bears the name of a Christian, right? And he's bringing reproach upon Christ and his church. Mm. This is not that scenario. No one's calling for any action like that right. whatsoever. Yeah. In fact, just the opposite, as you've heard repeatedly, to take up the attitude of Jesus, which was to be. And I would I'd say Jesus was comfortable, comfortable with sinners and the outcasts of society coming and fellowshipping with them. And so for people that aren't Christians, we should try to adopt that same type of an attitude. Mm. Like, what should they know of a Christian? He's the most warm and friendly man that I know, right? The most caring, like other people won't even associate with us, but this person will. And so he keeps setting that up, like like you're saying, this this kind of like false dichotomy. What does she expect you to do? Uh, 
to not associate with her, to not do what, whatever. I thought he was going to say to not go to the wedding. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't say that. He no. said all that other stuff. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. All right. Let's skip a little bit in the sermon. Let's, uh, let's go to this middle section where um, he says some pretty problematic things. Well, he doesn't understand grace. He doesn't understand it at all. The younger son had a song to sing. All right, again, this is, this is wrong application of the passage. Yeah. The younger son has repented. Yes. He's come, he's come back. He's come home. What Jesus is, is saying is, look, the, these, these sinners, these sinners and tax collectors are coming to me in repentance. They're listening to me. And the Pharisees are saying, there's no hope for them. Right. <laughs> That's that's the right. that's the whole the whole story. It's it's not Jesus going to um, you know the tax collector's party where he's boasting about ripping people off. Um, he's not going to like a brothel. I mean, we have an example of a tax collector's interaction with Jesus. Yeah, Matthew. Yeah, and he's very repentant. Or Z- and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, yeah, yeah coming two, down to the tree, right, trying to get to him. Mm-hmm. What should I do? Right, and he's like, "I will give back everything I took, and then some." Yeah. So we have we have examples of what it looks like when, with Jesus associating there. Right. The the exact opposite of what the Pharisees think will happen happens. So right. the Pharisees think I'll be defiled mm-hmm. by interacting with sinners. Right. But the sinners interact with Jesus, and they're and they're cleansed. Right. Jesus isn't defiled; mm-hmm. they're cleansed. Right. Um. So you're exactly right. He's apparently just I, I don't really know. How, considering he's so good at exegeting passages and preaching them, mm. but in this scenario, he's he's setting it up as if uh, you know, if you're opposed, then you're a Pharisee. You're the you're the older brother who doesn't understand grace. Right, right. Yeah, it's just not a good. It's not a good application. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. That the older son knew nothing about. In tenderness. He sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulder brought me back to his home again. While angels in his presence sang, until the courts of heaven rang, O the love that sought me, O the blood that bought me, O the grace that brought me to your fold, to the sheepfold. Wondrous grace that brought me to the fold. In that conversation with that grandmother, I was concerned about the well-being of their relationship more than anything else. Said it again. Yeah. (laughs) There it is. He said it again. Mm -hmm. More than anything else, I was concerned about their relationship. That is not the position that a Christian should have. Right. Exactly. You got it. All right, here we go. Hence my counsel. Don't misunderstand that in any way at all. If I was in the receiving end of another question about another situation from another person in another time, I may answer absolutely differently. That's not good either, because, again— this was not between just him and this grandmother, as 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 I think as 
as wrong as that advice was, this advice has gone out <laughs> and everyone has heard it. Right. Um, the people in his church have heard this counsel and they're they're not going to be thinking about, well, my situation's different than this grandmother. They're going right. to be thinking, well, my situation, because that's what everyone says. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows what this is doing to me. Mm-hmm. Well, my pastor told this grandmother that he, she should go. Well, I should go. I should bring a gift. And they're not going to have the same... Uh, it it's it's it has whether he likes it or not he has embraced the fact that he is a known name and that he has a he has a, a nationwide broadcast right and people listen to his sermons and it's made public and you can go into YouTube it's this isn't private I went on the YouTube and found it yeah um my problem with this advice is that. Time and time and time again, whenever we're talking about deconstruction, this is the issue that leads people to deconstruct. Yeah. It's, it is nothing else. It's homosexuality. Yeah. This is, this is, the, this is the gateway for people to fall away. Mm-hmm. They, they cannot, they cannot, they can't countenance, using uh, Alistair Begg's own words here, they can't countenance a God who would condemn their friend or their family member who is a homosexual or mm-hmm. transgender. And so they leave the church. Right. They deconstruct. Yeah. And it's, uh, Alistair Begg is older. Uh, he probably is like MacArthur. He probably doesn't have social media. He's got a social media team. I'm sure right. that, that, you know, posts all this stuff. He, he's probably not, he, you know, he probably doesn't have a Facebook page and typing out, went to dinner with you know <laughs> with my wife tonight. Right. So he he probably is removed from some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh he says something towards the end of the sermon. Uh, I I can't remember if it's I think it's in this last clip. Um but he says something that makes me think he's he doesn't he's he's kind of he's not discerning of the times. Right. Like we're we're not we're not in the we're not in the early time when homosexuality is just starting to become accepted. Right. We are in a full-scale <clears throat> revolt against God here, and people are leaving Christianity because of it. Yeah. And to give this advice is, and it goes out to, to everyone, maybe this grandmother will be safe and she, you know, she'll, she'll keep the faith, but there's going to be people that hear this advice, and they start to, they start to, grow soft on this mm-hmm. like it, that that that's what's bothered me the most is that when we read about deconstruction or hear people talk it is always this issue you're right and so we we have to take a stand here mm-hmm. we, we can't we can't go soft on it um and if that comes across to people like alistair Begg as not being loving i think it's being loving the people who are like professing to be christians like we're trying to help you to persevere Mm-hmm. And not fall away because uh, a family member is in sexual revolt against God. Right. Yeah. He, as I told told you the other day, I, I suspect he's, you know, maybe not as far off the grid as like Sinclair Ferguson, who I don't even think has a phone, a cell phone. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, I think that, they. Can you imagine? And that would be the life. That's what I was telling Larry. I, <laughs> I was like, I, our only hope is Sinclair Ferguson that he reaches out. I was like, but he's like in the middle of nowhere in Scotland Highlands somewhere. Yeah. And uh, like, that's really where he is. Some island. 
at some remote church. Yeah. He probably doesn't even have internet access at his mm. house, so people have to get him on a landline. Yeah. He doesn't remember when he was at ShepCon and he was like, "I have no idea yeah, what, I don't know what's what, going yeah, on I in your culture. On. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. I have no clue about any of this." Yeah, they're talking about <laughs> yeah. critical race theory yeah. with Al, yeah. Al Mohler, and and he's sitting yeah. there, and he's like, "I don't even know what's going on." <laughs> so I don't know if he's that like insulated to the yeah. times, but he, I suspect he probably probably gets you know nothing against getting hard newspaper, but I I don't think he he doesn't have his finger on like the pulse of where we are in our in our mm-hmm. cultural decay like we're past the early parts of you know romans one the spiral of degeneration mm-hmm. and we're to the bottom part where right. we become inventors of evil yeah right that's where it goes to right they are invent kinds of evil and they approve of those who do mm-hmm. like that's where we are yeah i mean every every time you uh turn around there's some new depravity that's being talked about yeah, I mean, people people are even talking about trying to like uh, decriminalize bestiality and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that, this right. isn't a this isn't cuckoo <clears throat> Jay making up crazy illustrations to to help mm-hmm. us to see how you know this this deal here how it's crazy too. Yeah. That's real stuff. Like people are talking about that now. Would you go to a Would you go to a a, a wedding between like a a fifty year old guy and a thirteen year old girl? Yeah. As long as they know that, you know, as long as they know that you don't countenance right. what they're doing. Yeah. Like, surprise them with your love by showing up. Right. Yeah. I think everyone listening would say, no, I wouldn't go to that wedding. Yeah. Well, why not? Because <laughs> I don't approve. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the exact point that we're making yeah. about, this, about this situation. And to, to think that, well, that's absurd. We would have said this transgender stuff was absurd ten years ago, mm-hmm. right? That that's where we are as a culture, mm-hmm. and so again, we we can't we can't soft pedal this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to uh, you've got to take a stance somewhere. There there's got to be somewhere for you to count the cost, right? So if Jesus says to count the cost to follow me, mm. like you may lose your mother or your father, right? Like there. That means there is a line. I know people don't really like to draw lines nowadays, mm-hmm. but and Jesus says these type of things repeatedly. So if Jesus intends for us to have a line to which we cannot cross or we cannot be his disciple, that means the line is somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like there's got to be one, right? Um, and that doesn't make you a Pharisee, and it doesn't make you a Pharisee. Now people always throw out, "Well, Jesus probably would attend a gay wedding." And we're like, "What planet are you? Do you live on?" <laughs> like he. I'll tell you why. First off, he wouldn't, because even in the ancient world, this level—it's an abomination. Right. That level of depravity would not even be tolerated amongst the pagan Romans. Like that idea, and they were engaged in all kinds of sexual morality. But the idea of a union between two men or two women to them was depraved, and not only depraved, they view it as a threat against the society, the society at large. Like they. They still viewed in their pagan nature, it's uh, paramount to our civilization that marriage be between a man and a woman, and that they have children for the empire. Mm -hmm. So we are, like you said, we have been so culturally conditioned that we're we're accepting of things that ancient pagans would view as abominable, that aren't even believers, right? And you can take that and put that in any culture on the planet in the ancient world. Yeah. 
This, what we have today, is a new invented form of rebellion against God that not even the pagans would engage in. That ought to give us pause for for a little bit, yeah. I think, right? It shows us that not only... I think that I think that marriage between a man and a woman is part of um, the things that are written upon our heart. Like, how do those who do not have the law know in their conscience what they ought to do and what they ought not to do? They become a law to themselves, mm-hmm. Paul says in Romans. And then when they keep the law, like, they've never been given the Ten Commandments. They show God's law has been written on the human heart, right? It bears witness to us, just like general, all of general revelation does. And I think throughout all of history, even non-believers have known this, and so they've protected the institution of marriage. Yeah. Right? We came here, like we're called uh, invaders right? into America. We live in a, a land, especially here in Oklahoma, has a large Native American population. Guess what they weren't doing? Guess what they weren't doing? They had marriage ceremonies. Guess what they weren't doing? Yeah. They weren't marrying people of the same sex together. That should uh that should really say something because you've got like cannibals <laughs> that will eat people. Right. But they won't have same sex marriage. <laughs> That's where we're at. But we like you said at the beginning, we've been so socially conditioned through the media, through all kinds of things, through movies, entertainment, the news, that this is the one that we ought to bend on. Right. Because right. it's not really like other sins. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like others. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You want to hear his direct response? Okay. Because we've, we've gotten to the part where he directly responds to like critics. All right. But in that case, I answered in that way. And I would not answer in any other way, no matter what anybody says on the internet as of the last 10 days. If that were the case, I would never, if that were the case, I would never, I should never have said it in the first place. If people want me to recant and to repent, to repent? I I repent daily because I say a lot of things that I shouldn't say. I mean, check with Sue, but the fact of the matter is I'm not ready to repent over this. I don't have to. He's not ready, but hopefully he will be ready. Right. Like someone who's close with him yeah. that has some big influence in his life. Mm-hmm. I was hoping it could be John yeah. MacArthur, yeah. Um, but I don't know that he'll listen to— I don't know that he would listen to John MacArthur, because yeah. I think he views John MacArthur as a fundamentalist. Yeah. Whoa, hey, we're getting we're 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 at that point. Let's, okay. Let's uh, let's listen. Now, let me say something that would be a little explosive. <laughs> I've lived here for forty years, and those who know me best know that when we talk theology, when we talk stuff, I I've always said I am a little bit out of sync with the American evangelical world for this reason, that I am the product of British evangelicalism, represented by John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Eric Alexander, Sinclair Ferguson, Derek Prime. I am a product of that. I have never been a product of American fundamentalism. I come from a world in which 
it is possible for people to actually grasp the fact that there are nuances in things. Those of you who are lawyers understand this. Everything is not so categorically clear that if you put one foot out of this box, you've got to be removed from the box forever. <laughs> he's, not, he's not like us American fundamentalists, Jay. Right. Now, there, is a, there are those in American he, fundamentalism. <laughs> like, so. He says he's in the line of Martin Lloyd-Jones and John Stott and Sinclair Ferguson, none of who would give this counsel <laughs> to, to go to, I, a, I, to, go to a, a, a transgender. I'm one. not as familiar with the other guys, but I have read a, a little bit of Lloyd-Jones, mm -hmm. and Lloyd-Jones is known to drop hammers. Yeah, yeah, he is. Like he, do, he doesn't uh, mince words on things. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I can't... It, man, that just smacks of arrogance. Like, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a part of American fundamentalism. Yeah, I mean, oh, we have, we have nuance. We have nuance mm -hmm. where I'm from. Right. I told you before. I don't know that I'm a product of American fundamentalism either. Yeah. Like. The same people that influenced him influenced me. I grew up in the military chapel, which is the furthest thing you can get from American fundamentalism. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's how I grew up. Um, but I think he would probably lump me in with American fundamentalist. Um, I like this response that's on Twitter. You can throw this up on the screen. I don't know this guy, Zachary Garris. I, I don't know who this is. Says in his defense of telling a grandmother to attend her granddaughter's same sex wedding and even give a gift, Alistair Begg attacked American Christians for being quote unquote fundamentalists who don't understand quote unquote nuance like British evangelicals. Ah, yes, the British evangelicals who abandon inerrancy and compromise on evolution, socialism, and feminism. Such nuance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, they've had their problems too. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, what was what was Lloyd Jones? What was Lloyd Jones uh, going after so often? Right. <laughs> it liberal, right. It was it was the liberalism <laughs> in the British churches. <laughs> right. And this wasn't this wasn't a modern thing. This going back to Spurgeon. Spurgeon is constantly. I mean, the downgrade controversy is about liberalism. Maybe it's about nuance. It's maybe it's about nuance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah just that part. When I heard it, I thought it was pretty funny because it's just so, I mean, that's such a ridiculous, like, ad hominem attack. Mm -hmm. Like, well, there's nuance in uh, the circles that I run in. Right. <laughs> like, okay. What does that have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Yeah. Still yeah. bad advice. I mean, what are you, I mean, what, what's your point? Yeah. Yeah, so he's not ready to repent. Um, he said doesn't believe that he needs to. But like I said, we're holding out a hope that he does. Yeah. I have one last section. One last section. For All us. right. This is uh, this is getting towards the end. He says a couple of things that are concerning. Okay. Was interpreted by the Pharisees as an inexcusable compromise with sin. They did not see it for what it really was an expression of the divine, divine compassion uh, towards sinners. 
Now, the challenge in this, and I'm going to wrap this up because time goes. The challenge for me in this is I just assume, and I'm not going to assume it anymore. I assume that people are able to put two and two together and get four, not five or seven or nine or whatever it is. So, for example, um, in the last days when this thing began, um, my daughter said to me, Dad, you were way ahead of this game a long time ago when Ellen DeGeneres came out and you preached those sermons on the gay debate. Ellen DeGeneres? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that, that was something that made me think he's slightly behind the times. Yeah. Like maybe he doesn't quite grasp where we are as a culture. We are far, 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 far away from Ellen DeGeneres when she came out on her sitcom back in the 90s, mm-hmm. like mid-90s. <coughs> <laughs> Like we're far, we are far away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he also is um, he's making another another uh, error here. He's he's saying, well, uh, now there may be some people that are are saying, well, Alistair Begg is is gay affirming now, and and uh, they may be you know uh, going too far. They they may be saying, well, now he's like a full-blown liberal and we can't right. listen to him anymore and we should, you know, just jettison him and and never listen to him again. We're not saying that. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's nothing that makes me suppose that Alistair Begg is now a raging liberal, that he's gone soft on homosexuality. But we're not saying that. I, I want that to be clear. Like, we're we're not saying don't listen to Alistair Begg. Um, I would say after listening to the sermon, like be discerning, right? <laughs> like when you listen to him, be mm-hmm. discerning because he, I think he butchered this parable. Right. I, I don't think that he is applying it correctly. So I would just say, be discerning when you listen, don't just take everything he says, um, at face value. Um, actually ask yourself, is this an appropriate application of this text? Uh, but no one, no one is saying that, like he's now homosexual affirming, or that he's he's probably pro, just, he's pro he's pro same sex marriage. He, he he's not he's not doing that. And he's and he's he's but that's what he's saying. He's he's saying I'm not going to assume anymore that people know what I'm talking about because he says his daughter is like you were way ahead of the curve. When, you know, when yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. Well, he's behind the curve now. On, yeah. tra- on transgenderism, he's behind the curve now, and he he needs to he needs to recognize that. Yeah, I, I saw a stat. I should have grabbed it and brought it in. It was something like this: in the past um, five years, the uh, number of people between thirteen and like twenty five that identified as LGBTQ has gone from five percent to thirty percent mm. in the past five years. Yeah, so. I think if you don't really, if you can't, if you don't understand that and grasp what's going on here is a, is a cultural phenomenon that is quickly multiplying uh, through the culture um, as a learned behavior. That's the only explanation for that spike in the statistic. Yeah. Um, you're going to make wrong applications. You're not going to understand where we are. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand the, the link to deconstruction, and how this is occurring and infiltrating into churches, 
then you're going to you're going to give advice that mm. I think is wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think for the because we kind of know where we're at, right? With that thirty percent now, people identifying in that, like, what should people see from Christians? What what I think they should see is, like, people should see what the Pharisees accused Jesus of. They should see that in our own life that we're not afraid to associate with these people. We welcome them. We're friends with them. Um, they know us as someone that is trustworthy, someone they could even count on. But if they're asking us to cross a line, right, that where we would come to a ceremony which has within it a built built-in idea of celebration or witnessing of this, um, there's got to be a, a line somewhere where that person then says, yeah, I know you've been one of the kindest people to me that I've ever known, but if you don't fully affirm this, then we can't be friends, right? But that choice has got to be theirs. Right. That's not our choice. We're not cutting. We should not be cutting people off. Um, they they should be the ones that cut us off, right? That sever the relationship, right? I think that's the approach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. All right. One last uh, one last little section. I mean, you've been so clear about this for all of your ministry. What is this about? I said, honey, I don't, I don't really know what it's about, but uh, yeah, that's right. And most recently, in dealing with Romans chapter 1. So I assume that anybody who picks this up goes, oh, well, wait a minute. Whatever, whatever he's on about there, there's no reason for alarm, because after all, listen to what he said. And this is what I said in Romans 1, talking about this very issue. Quotes, so here's the challenge. How do you do this? In other words, how do you, how do you express the love of Jesus and, and do so in a way that doesn't just compromise everything? How do you honor God, obey His Word, and treat your neighbors and your friends and your family members who have decided to go down this wrong path? Some people have decided the way to handle it is by admonition. So you just simply stand up and keep telling them, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Some people have decided, well, we just won't say anything at all. Just let it go. Who cares? You know, it's a big world. People do different things. <clears throat> Neither is a possibility for a Bible-believing Christian. We are to treat with honor those who view us with hatred. Now, understand that this grandchild was an enemy of the gospel, an enemy, really, in the family circle by dint of her lifestyle, an enemy. And Jesus says, you're supposed to love your enemies. Now, we can disagree over whether I gave that grandmother good advice or not. Not everybody on the pastoral team thinks I gave very good advice. And as I said, uh, you know, on another occasion with a different person in a different context, the advice may be very different. But at least let's acknowledge the fact that what we're doing is we're wrestling with biblical principle. And when principle for, let's say, holiness of life comes up against the principle of love for your enemy, how are you, how are you going to put that together? You got a problem with the grandmother showing up, sitting on the front row in a context that she absolutely despises, and sitting on our lap, nicely wrapped with beautiful paper and a bow around it, is her gift, the gift of a Bible. 
for a granddaughter she knows has no interest in the Bible. But because she believes that the entrance of God's Word brings light, she is prepared to trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. What happens to homosexual people, in my experience, quotes, is that they are either reviled or they are affirmed. The Christian has to say, we will not treat you in either of those ways. We cannot revile you, but we cannot affirm you. And the reason that we can't revile you is the same reason why we can't affirm you, because of the Bible, because of God's love, because of His grace, and because of His goodness. Maybe I'll just give you a couple of comments. <laughs> there are one or two good ones, and um, not, not many, though. And <clears throat> my friends and family have been saving me from, from the, the most strident of them. I'm, gra- I'm grateful for that. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> I wanted to end with, with that, little, that little comment right there. Uh, he says, I mean, the problem with this is that he says some good things. Mm-hmm. Like, he's right. We, we shouldn't revile homosexuals, but neither can we affirm them. And we, we do that because that's what the scriptures teach. That's right. I think, and I think this comes back, though, the one thing he doesn't understand about our culture mm-hmm. is that if, if, you, if you come to that point where you say, I can't affirm that, I can't affirm you in that, then they automatically view that as reviling. Right. Because it's yeah, tied, not, you can't you can't avoid it. Because it, they tie that to it's tied to their personal identity mm-hmm. of them, and so it's viewed as an attack on them as a person. Right. But I, I don't know that he's grasped that yet. Mm-hmm. So right. Um, but he um, he, <laughs> he says that not everyone on his pastoral team thinks that he had right. good advice either. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm hoping that there's good conversation going on yeah. there. I, I hope that he's not. I mean, I, I would imagine that the danger is, well, this is Alistair Begg we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, you know. I, I hope that there's a healthy pastoral uh, team there and, and that he's not just a giant over them because of who he is. I would imagine it'd be the same thing with MacArthur. Right. Like, how am I going to tell John MacArthur that I disagree with him? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Um, Well, as I referenced before, apparently some did, and he changed his position. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Um, Again, we're not saying don't, you know, it's time to cancel Alistair Begg. Far from it. I'll reference his work in Romans, I'm sure, as I prepare to to preach through Romans, because he says some really good things Mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, I, this may be a surprise for you, though, George. Um, a big error, I think, on Alistair Begg's part. Pretty big one. B- pretty big blunder. We could not serve on his pastoral staff. He adopts the Yankee rule. What? You, you know what the rule of the New York Yankees is? What's that? No facial hair. No facial hair, really? No facial hair on the pastoral staff. Really? Yeah. Oh, it's, wow. his po- it's his policy. Oh. Yeah. Um, again, I should have saved it and brought it in. Somebody clipped it. Um, I don't know. I, I think he, to promote like a clean 
He doesn't want like various weird looking styles. So, you know, maybe you got a strange bushy like goatee and somebody's got a beard and somebody's got a mustache. And I mean, it's, I could, the, it's the Yankee rule. The Yankees have it. Again, the question is why? I mean, I could understand. You don't, you don't want somebody that's got like ZZ Top beard yeah. coming up there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's going to, I mean, that, you know, that, that would eliminate uh, Charles Spurgeon from well, the Well, if he, stuff. but here's my main, you know I mean? here's my, here's my main <laughs> question. Does he follow the, the Matt Chandler rule? If he's got a, if he's got a, 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 a black seven and a white, a white eight, does, which one does he, <laughs> which one does he, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he follows that rule. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, uh, people can look that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he says that um, he's uh, like he's being he's being kind of guarded against um, some of the critiques, and I, I hope that they're not uh, like he's not being shielded from like faithful people that right, have yeah. that have legitimate. I, I think he should be shielded by a lot of the weird internet nut jobs. Yeah, there if there's so, yeah if there's somebody that's like ah oh, he's 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 just completely gone uh, like he's apostate. Okay, like yeah. that that probably hurt him after all these, all these uh, decades of of being a faithful preacher. Right. Um, but uh, some, I guess, some closing things that I I was thinking about is how do we respond to a pastor that that does something like this? And I I think that the first thing that we need to remember is that no one is above critique. Like no one, no one is above correction. Uh, the I mean, we have uh, we have the example of of Paul confronting Peter in Galatians chapter two. Uh, Peter is uh, not eating with the Gentiles when some representatives from James come. Yeah, um, and Paul confronts him publicly. Uh, he Paul even gives instructions to Timothy on how this should be done uh, amongst elders. Uh huh. Um, so I, I think that it's it's a good reminder. Like, just because it's Alistair Beck doesn't mean that he's above correction. Yeah, and I don't I don't think our correction or or even you know I don't think we rebuked him. Yeah, I think hopefully we tried to do what uh, Paul says in First Timothy <clears throat> was to exhort him like a like a father. Yeah. So I have a lot of respect for Alistair Beck. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Lear- learned a lot from him, but um, I, I think he's wrong on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he he should be corrected. It should be direct, but um, it should be accurate. Mm-hmm. Like don't don't th- don't throw out straw men. Like address what he actually says in an accurate, fair way. Mm-hmm. Uh, be direct about it, and uh, you don't have to be a jerk. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to be a jerk about it. So. Hopefully it uh, hopefully it, it helps. It's I mean he's not going to hear this, but hopefully it's helpful for the people who listen to the podcast. Yes, that's right. Um, I mean we we're living in a in a day and age when we we really have to be discerning. We we really do have to to listen carefully and um, hold everything up to the standard of scripture. Mm-hmm. So, all right, very good. I guess I'll close this out. All right, thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find it on an app now. We have a, a church app. You can get that by going to CFC 
lawton.org or you can go to iTunes or the Google Play Store, download our app, Christ Fellowship Church. Podcasts are on there, sermons are on there. Or you can just listen on any of your favorite streaming services. Of course, YouTube. If this is helpful or beneficial to you, please like, subscribe, share, pass it along to your friends. We'll see you next week when we pick back up for Text Driven Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.